Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And all of this is brought to us in verse 18 when Naomi says with absolute certainty of her knowledge for the man will not be in rest until he hath finished the thing this day. And this is a picture of Naomi knowing Boaz and telling Ruth about Boaz that is so teaching to us. Why? Because this picture gets home to us when we see ourselves as Naomi and we see Boaz as the Lord Jesus Christ, and we see Ruth as those that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider Naomi as representing us. Just as Naomi knew Boaz, so we know the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who know the Lord Jesus Christ have a strength. The knowledge is a strength. That's the real, one real strength, and one way we become stronger and stronger and strength is increased is described for us in Daniel 11.32. Daniel 11.32. Daniel 11.32 says, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Those that are strong are those that do know their God. That's the true source of their strength. That's their true strength. Those that are strong have the knowledge of God. They know the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more they know him, the stronger they are. Paul, when you consider Paul, before he was Saul, then he became Paul, so we're just gonna call him Paul. Paul was in a state of the greatest weakness when he confessed that he didn't know God. And it was at his conversion in Acts 9.3, Acts 9.3. It says, talking about Paul, Saul, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying for unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. When Paul's on that road to Damascus and this great light focuses in right down on him, he hears this voice from heaven asking him why he was persecuting God and Paul says, who art thou, Lord? Can you imagine that scene? I mean, can you imagine that? This man, this man, he's the great Jewish scholar. He was schooled in the deep knowledge of Judaism at the feet of the great Rabbi Gamaliel, and he's carrying out the will of the great synagogue to stop these Christians. He's a person who could give you a deep instruction in religious thought. He could give you a deep instruction on the Bible. And this is the person who cries out, who is God? Who art thou, Lord? That was a confession of utter ignorance and complete weakness. And at that point, Saul was saying, I know everything about religion. 
but I know nothing about God. At that point, Saul was saying, I know everything about the Bible, but I know nothing about God. At that point, Saul was saying, I have great prestige, I have reputation, I have honor among men, but I don't have eternal life. And that was all because Saul could not answer this question, who is God? He couldn't, he didn't know. Who is God? And the simple truth that changed everything for Saul and gave him strength and then began to give him more and more strength as he learned more and more about Jesus, the simple truth, the simple truth, when Saul asked God who God was, God said in Acts 9-5, I am Jesus. The truth is, Jesus is God. That's the truth. And when Paul learned that, he became strong. And as he learned more and more and more about Jesus, like we've been singing, there's not a one like the lowly Jesus. And then there were details about the Lord Jesus. That's from the Bible. That's more and more about Jesus. In fact, there's a song, more and more about Jesus. And then Paul learned more and more about Jesus. He learned more and more about God. And Paul got stronger and stronger and stronger. But there's one block stands in the way of every person to know God. And this block will effectively block every person who wants to know about God, who wants to know God. He cannot unless this block is removed. And that block is described for us in Jeremiah 31, 34. Jeremiah 31, 34. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, and they shall teach no more. Every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. Why? For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. What that's saying is that they shall all know the Lord when he forgives their iniquity and remembers their sin no more. That's the block. The iniquity and the sin is the block. And until that iniquity and that sin is forgiven by God, there's no knowing God. But when any person wants to know God and their sin has not been forgiven through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, it just results in a futile attempt that spirals down to religion without the knowledge of God. And it's knowing the Lord Jesus Christ that brings eternal life. As he said in John 17, 3, John 17, 3, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. 1 John 5, 20, 1 John 5, 20. We know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So when Daniel makes that statement, like we've been considering in Daniel 11.32, Daniel 11.32, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Those that know the Lord Jesus Christ shall be strong and do exploits. You know a great picture of this? Great picture of this? We just had Hanukkah. It's really in the history of Hanukkah. About 167 years, more or less, before the Lord Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, there was a Jewish priest. His name was Mattathias. And he had five sons. One of them was Judas. We know him as Judas Maccabee, but it wasn't Mr. Maccabee. His name wasn't that at that time. Okay, Alexander the Great had died, very young age. He died very young, he had no sons. So it was a big crisis. What are we gonna do with this kingdom? And they decided to divide it up between three generals. And the one that got or ruled over Palestine, Israel, was named Antiochus. And Antiochus, he terrorized the Jewish people. He ordered his soldiers to offer a pig on the altar at the temple. And the five sons all agreed among themselves 
to come to the ceremony, to come to the temple for the offering of the pig, and just before the pig was to be offered, that there would be a signal, there would be a sign, and they would all take their daggers and their swords that they had hid under their robes, and they'd kill all the soldiers, which they did. And Judas Maccabee, he wasn't the firstborn, he was the thirdborn, but he was the leader. He was the leader, so they all looked to him, and at the right time, he would give the signal. And the signal was a very interesting phrase, a very interesting phrase, me kamoka be'alim Yahweh. So, me kamoka be'alim Yahweh. That means who, me, who, oka, among us, be'alim, among the gods, among the gods, is like God, Yehovah, is like God. And the first letters of that are M, me, K, kamoka, E, be'alim, Yehovah, Y. So, M, K, B, Y. And that's how we get the name Maccabee, Maccabee. So, when the pig was being offered, Judas said, Mikaboka be'alim, Adonai. And who is among the gods who is like our God? And they all drew out their swords and they did exploits. They were strong, they did exploits, they killed the soldiers, and then they only found a single day's worth of oil, but it lasted eight days, and so we have Hanukkah. But the Maccabees knew their God and were strong and they did exploits. Now, our strength comes from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not suggesting we all get daggers and swords and kill people, but that's our strength. And just as it was Naomi's knowledge of Boaz, and when she told Ruth about Boaz, that's when Ruth was helped. So those around us who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, they need us to tell them about the one we know. Why? Because it's their lack of knowledge that is destroying them, the ultimate destruction being hell, which is what God said in Hosea 4.6, Hosea 4.6. Hosea 4.6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. Knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as God, that's understanding, as King Solomon said in Proverbs 9.10, Proverbs 9.10, the knowledge of the holy is understanding, or the knowledge of the holy one is understanding. So, Naomi tells Ruth, what she knows about Boaz. And in so doing, Naomi is telling Ruth that her anxiety will be remedied as she takes her gaze off of herself and she focuses her gaze on Boaz. Same is true with us. Same is true with us. That's good advice for us. When we feel anxious, as Ruth did, we need to take our gaze off of ourselves and focus our gaze on our Boaz, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what was it? about Boaz that Naomi was directing Ruth to focus on about Boaz. Well, when Naomi told Ruth, the man will not be in rest until he had finished the thing this day, she's really telling Ruth that Boaz has a very important trait in his character. And when she says, look, Boaz is gonna finish the thing this day, she's telling Ruth, I wanna tell you something about Boaz. He's not a man of procrastination. He does, Boaz does not procrastinate. Boaz is not laid back. Boaz is not a hesitator. Boaz is not a life as a beach person. That's not Boaz. It doesn't mean that Boaz was a man of, of sudden impulse, but Boaz was the type of man that immediately moved when he knew that it was the right thing to do. He was a man of action, and he didn't let other things get in the way of what he knew was his priority. The procrastinator, it's a big, huge problem. And the Lord Jesus Christ described this so well when he said, there is a ground, there is a third type of ground. It's infested with thorns. And when the word of God falls on this ground, it's choked. That's a procrastinator. 
And he describes that procrastinator in Mark 4.18, Mark 4.18, Mark 4.18, these are they, which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word of God, hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. The procrastination that the Lord is referring to here is the ultimate procrastination of not wholeheartedly following the Lord Jesus Christ in a life of total dedication and devotion and obedience to him. What the Lord Jesus Christ was saying is that really there are three types of thorns. There are three types of thorns of procrastination that keep a person from wholly following the Lord Jesus Christ. And these three thorns are first the thorns of the cares of this world. And then there's the thorns of the deceitfulness of riches. And then there's the thorns of the lust of other things. And they come in and they cause the procrastinator to hesitate and not go through in fully following the Lord. So first, the thorns of the procrastination from the cares of this world. The, the picture of this is Martha. Martha, she's got the Lord Jesus Christ in her house. And what could she think about? Ugh, the house is not clean. Ugh, the meals are not cooked. Ugh, nobody got the food. Ugh, the company's gotta be taken care of. She's in a ugh, whirlwind tizzy. And when she should have been sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning from him, and the Lord rebuked her for being choked by the thorns of her mundane responsibilities. And when he said in Luke 10, 38, Luke 10, 38, now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. A little bit farther down, Luke 10, 40, Luke 10, 40. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bitter, therefore, that she helped me. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha. It's like Jesus is saying, Martha, Martha, can you hear me, Martha? <laughs> You're all caught up in the ach, tizzy, but Martha, Martha, listen to me. You are careful and you are troubled about many things. Martha received the Lord into her house, but she was so consumed with serving that she didn't have any time to worship. She didn't have any time to listen, to consider what he was saying and worship him. She was choked with the cares of this life. A procrastinator is also an excuse maker. And the Lord gave this parable and he described the excuse maker when he said in Luke, 17, Luke 14, 17, Luke 14, 17, then his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. And the first said, I bought a piece of ground. I must needs go and see it. Oh, I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I go to prove them. Oh, I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. A procrastinator comes up with one excuse after another instead of tackling a problem. Oh, I just bought a piece of property. I gotta go look and see what I bought. I gotta find out. Oh, I just bought some five oxen here. I gotta go try them out. Oh, I just got married. I gotta spend time with my wife. That was not Boaz. And that was to be choked with the thorns 
of making excuse, but there's another procrastinator who's choked by the thorns of the deceitfulness of riches. You know, similar to the, I bought the land, I bought the oxen, the deceitfulness of riches. This is the person who says, I want to go on the mission field, but I need to first build up a little nest egg for myself to fall back on. Because after all, what if the wind turns the other direction? I need some money. Or the person who says, oh, all I need to do in life is just get myself financially set. Then I'll be in a good position to take time for God. The richest man in the world, the richest man who ever lived, King Solomon said in Proverbs 23.5, Proverbs 23.5, Will thou set thine eyes on that which is not? Riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle to heaven. Can you imagine what he's saying there? He said, all these riches here, I see wings going, they're gonna fly away. Now, the Lord gives this, gives this wonderful picture of the person who is deceived by riches in Luke 12, 16. Luke 12, 16, where he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my roots. And he said, this will I do. He's got it. This will I do, I will pull down my barns, build greater, there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, be merry. But God said, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, the problem there is not the treasure. The problem is laying up treasure for himself. It's living for self and is not living for God. It's not being rich toward God. Then there's the procrastinator that's choked with the thorns of other things, other things, the lust of other things. Lust, lust, lust feels good. First Peter 4, 2. First Peter 4, 2. That he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh in the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may have sufficed us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in, and here comes the other things, lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, abominable idolatries, where think it not strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. See, this is the goal of the feel good, the feel good that leads to the other things, that leads to the alcoholism, that leads to the drug addiction. Columbia University just published a, a study in which they said one out of eight, one out of eight people in the U.S. are addicted to either alcohol or drugs or nicotine. And then they went on to say one in four people is right on the brink. They're at risk of addiction. This is part of the choking thorns of other things. When Naomi told Ruth in verse 18 that Boaz will not be in rest until he has finished the thing this day, what she's telling Ruth is that Boaz is not a procrastinator. He's not a procrastinator. He's not an excuse maker. He is not a procrastinator because of what difficulties he sees. There were difficulties. Boaz had difficulties, like the difficulty of coming up with a strategy. How am I gonna persuade that other redeemer to not marry Ruth? And he didn't focus on these difficulties, so he didn't procrastinate. He was not a man who procrastinated because of fear. You know, fears have a way of self-generating. Fears have a way of growing way out of proportion, of way leaving the hemisphere of rationality. And this is described for us in Proverbs 22:13. Proverbs 22:13. The slothful man saith, there's a lion without. I shall be slain in the streets. 
You know, they're right behind that door. There's a lion there. I could sit here and talk for tonight about that lion that's over there. You'd be scared <laughs> by the time I got yeah. That's the person who's procrastinating because of fear. Boaz might have been afraid. You know, might have been afraid of the Redeemer, but he wasn't. You know, another person who was just like Boaz and was a man of immediate action was Caleb. Caleb, he stood right in the middle of the other spies who were procrastinating because of the difficulties of taking the land. Oh, the land is beautiful, but, you know, and the people are there, and oh, you should have seen them. And she generated the lions out there. The, the fear was just growing and growing. They're giants, giants, giants. And Caleb stands right in the middle. Look at what he said in Numbers 13, 27. Numbers 13, 27. And they told him and said, we came into the land, whither thou sentest us, he's speaking to Moses, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled, very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there, the Amalekites dwell in the land in the south, the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan, and you can just see this going on here. The fear, the difficulties, the procrastination. And then it says in verse 30, in verse 30, in Numbers 13, 30, it says, and Caleb stilled the people. He stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Caleb was beautiful because he was a man of action when he stilled the people and he said, let us go up at once. These are the qualities that Naomi is telling Ruth about that Boaz has. And she's pointing Ruth, focus on this. Focus on Boaz. It's the cure to your anxiety as you focus on him. In the same way, we find ourselves with our anxiety. We find ourselves with feet in a snare. We may find ourselves with feet in a snare. We're trapped. Like Ruth, we have a choice. Either look at our feet, look at the dilemma we're in, or follow Naomi's advice and look to our Redeemer, which is what King David said in Psalm 25, 15. Psalm 25, 15. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the snare, out of the net. He didn't say, mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, and if I ever get in a net, he's gonna take me out of it. He didn't say that. He said, my eyes are ever toward the Lord, and he shall pluck my feet out of the net that I'm in right now. David knew that his feet were already in a net, and he doesn't say, I gotta concentrate on getting my feet out of this net. I gotta look at the net. I gotta try to figure out what my next move is to get out of this. Instead, David says, no, as strong a temptation and as strong a pull as I feel to look at my feet and to ask, how did I get here? That must be the way for how I get out of here. Or what's my avenue out? As strong as that was, David said he was going to turn his eyes to the Lord and rely on God to take his feet out of the net. It's not easy to do that. It's not easy to not focus on our problems like when our feet are in a net and to turn our eyes upon Jesus. But this is what David is saying to do. When he says in Psalm 121, the famous Psalm, in Psalm 121, I will lift mine eyes, I will lift mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. You think he's qualified to help me? He made heaven and earth. Psalm 123.2, Psalm 123.2. Behold, as the eyes of a servant look unto the hand of their masters, and the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until he have mercy upon us. 
Psalm 141.8, Psalm 141.8. But mine eyes are unto thee, O Lord God. In thee is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute. So, like Naomi told Ruth, sit still and look at Boaz for peace and strength. The same is true of us. Very succinctly, very simply put by Isaiah in Isaiah 30, verse 7. Isaiah 30, verse 7. Their strength is to sit still. Father, thank you so much for Naomi, who, Lord, knew Boaz and took the time to tell Ruth. Thank you for Ruth, who listened. Thank you for Boaz. Lord, do help us to learn from these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.